I wouldn't even try. All right, we are in Luke chapter 2 and verse 7. Luke chapter 2, you see it up on the screen there. Looking at the manger today, as I already alluded to with the children, I don't know what happened, but, you know, back on September 30th, I got struck in the head by a tree, so maybe that's why I got confused. I don't know. Uh, But anyway, we're looking at the manger today. I am aware that this is January 1st. I am aware that this is New Year's Day, but uh, I wanted to have Christmas for one more week, and I... Early in the week, I asked Mike, I said, what do you say we have one more Christmas, one more Sunday of Christmas? He said, let's do it. So here we are. The manger, Luke chapter 2, verse 7. Please stand with me out of honor to God and his word as I read. Very familiar passage. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, because I know, I want to prove to you that I know it is New Year's Day. I'm going to tell you a New Year's Day joke. So it was New Year's Day, and a group of seminary students were sitting in the seminary chapel listening to one of their professors. The professor advised them to make a New Year's resolution to not pray for a big church, but to serve where God leads them. Well, after the professor spoke, a seminary graduate shared his testimony. He said that he had not heeded this professor's advice, and he prayed for a big church. Not only that, he prayed for a pretty wife. But somehow his prayer got confused because instead of getting a big church and a pretty wife, he ended up with a pretty church and a big wife. Anyway, let's look at the manger. First of all, let's look at the physical manger. What is a manger? Well, as I already shared, it is a feeding trough for animals. It's a feeding trough for animals. Now, the Bible never states that Mary and Joseph are in a stable. I know we always see them in a stable. The Bible never says that. It could have been the bottom floor of the inn. It could have been in a cave, which was a very popular thing to do at the time. The Bible never states there were any animals there. Now, I know in every nativity scene, you see animals, but the Bible never says says there were any animals there uh, at the manger. The assumption is made that they are in a stable. The assumption is made that there were animals there because there's a manger. And what is a manger? It is a feeding trough for animals. Now, mangers were usually made out of stone, or out of mud, not wood. They wouldn't have made a manger out of wood, like the manger sitting behind me here. They wouldn't have done that. They would have made it out of stone or out of mud. St. Francis of Assisi is credited with setting up the first nativity scene in 1223. Now, that's a long time ago. 1223, and the current X design of the, the manger made out of wood was probably his idea. But again... A manger was, in that day, made out of stone or made out of mud, not made out of wood. I think it's interesting, too, when we look at linguistics, you look at other languages, uh, the verb to eat in French is manger. That's how you would say that, manger. But look at how it's spelled. It looks looks like manger to me. And the Italian, very similar. And I don't speak Italian. So uh, anyway, mangiere or something like that, I don't know. But you still see the letters. You still see that the root there of manger to eat. Why? Because a manger is a place for food for animals. And so they eat out of it. So that's the physical manger. Secondly, though, I want to look at the signal of the manger. The angel told the shepherds that the manger would be part of a sign to them. If you look here in Luke 2.12, the angel says, This shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. So the manger was not the whole sign. It was just part of the sign. 
Another sign was there would be a babe and he'd be wrapped in swaddling clothes. The third part of the sign was that he was laying in a manger. Now, there may have been several male babies in Bethlehem. And they would have all been wrapped in swaddling clothes. Why? Because this was the conventional medicine of the day. The idea of wrapping a child in swaddling clothes was to keep their bones straight. You see, they believed back in that day that when babies were born, their bones were real flexible. And if you just left them on their own, they would grow and be deformed. And so what you would do, you would wrap that baby up tight in swaddling clothes. That would keep the limbs straight. And so every baby in that day would have been wrapped in swaddling clothes. But there's only one baby that would be in a manger. Why would anybody put their child in a feeding trough for animals? Who would do that? Today, nobody would do that. But that's exactly what happened. That was part of the sign to the shepherds. But let's ask a question. Why a manger? Why a manger? Well, one reason might be because there was no vacancy. Was this because of the census? I know that's what we've always been told. Luke chapter 2 and verse 1 says that Caesar Augustus, he, he uh, required this census, and maybe that's why, and all the, the rooms were full. Or maybe it was due to the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, stick with me. Though we celebrate Jesus' birth in December, some scholars believe it was actually in the fall. And the reason they think it could have been the Feast of Tabernacles is because it's based on the dates of the conception and birth of Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist. And the inn was full not because of the census. It was full from the Feast of Tabernacle pilgrims who were required to visit Jerusalem five miles away. Keep in mind, the date is not what's important. The delivery is important. Jesus Christ came. That's what really matters. During the Feast of Tabernacles, though, people tabernacled in their yard. They tabernacled in their yard. In other words, they set up tents. They left their home and they set up tents in their backyard, their front yard, and they would live in those tents during the Feast of Tabernacles to remind them of their ancestors who had wandered through the wilderness for 40, for 40 years and how they lived in tents. And so this is what they would do. To tabernacle means to live in a tabernacle. And so, and don't get confused with the tabernacle from the Old Testament that had all the the religious implements in it. I'm not talking about that. Just talking about a, a simple tent. And so the tabernacle means to live in a tabernacle, a tent. And think about the connection of the tabernacle's feast and Christmas. God's son tabernacled in a human body. John puts it this way in John 1:14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Now that word dwelt, when you look it up in the Greek, it's the verb tabernacle. So what it really says, and the word was made flesh and tabernacled among us. Not only did God's son tabernacle in a human body, God's son tabernacled in our yard. We call it the earth. And we call his tabernacling the incarnation. And so why a manger? Well, first of all, there was no vacancy. But secondly, why a manger? Out of humility. How could God's newborn son, the king of kings, be placed in a manger? How could that even be possible? How could his first visitors be lowly shepherds? It is because Jesus humbled himself to become one of us, to live among us, to be sacrificed for us. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in Philippians 2, beginning in verse 6, "...who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God." 
but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So why a manger? No vacancy, maybe. Why a manger? Humility. Why a manger? Prophecy. You may or may not know this Christmas prophecy. It's in Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 3. Look what it says. The ox knows his owner. The ass his master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people doth not consider. What does that say? It says the animals recognized who Jesus was, but Israel didn't. Israel didn't. So for all these reasons and more, the manger, no vacancy, humility, prophecy. So we've seen now the physical, what was a manger? Feeding trough for animals. We see the signal, it was part of a sign that this important baby would be in a manger. Let's look at the actual. In Luke 2.16 it says, And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. The shepherds left their flocks to find the manger. How did the shepherds find Jesus? You say, easy, they just followed the star. No, there was no star. That came a couple years later. How did they find Jesus? They searched all the mangers in Bethlehem and there would have been a bunch of them. But only one manger would have a baby in it. The rest would have animal feed. It might be hard to eliminate from all the different mangers, but it would be real obvious when there's a baby in one of them because it's the only one that would have a baby in it. You see, Jesus' birth is... Not a nice fictional story like Frosty the Snowman or Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. It actually happened. Now, some Christians like to debate about Santa Claus. I think he can be fun, just like mascots at sporting events. But I don't think Santa Claus belongs in church activities or church decor. He's not part of the story. Christmas is about the birth of Christ. And so as a church and as believers, we must acknowledge and declare that Christmas is the commemoration of Jesus' historical birthday. He was actually born. He is a real person. He is the Son of God in human flesh. And beyond that, Jesus' birth is the most significant event in all of history. His birth is the most significant event in all of history, dividing time into B.C. and A.D., B.C., some people think of you before Christ, A.D., after his death. Uh, That's not what it means, but that's an easy way to remember it. But even so, he divides time in half. Not only that, but he fulfilled ancient prophecies through his birth. Like Isaiah 7, 14 says, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a child and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And I hope you know this other ancient prophecy Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Jesus' birth is the most significant event in history, dividing time, fulfilling ancient prophecies, incarnating divinity in humanity. But you might say, Brother Gary, isn't Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection more important? Well, these are extremely important. The fact that Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins, the fact that Jesus rose again from the dead, they're extremely important. But guess what? Neither could have happened without the incarnation. Had Jesus never come, how could he die? How could he rise? His birth is the most significant event 
in all of history. So we see when we look at the manger, the physical, it's a feeding trough for animals. Nobody would put a kid in there. Then we see the signal. It was part of the sign to the shepherds. They would find the king of kings and lord of lords in a feeding trough. And then we looked at the actual. The shepherds found exactly what they were told they would find, a baby lying in a manger. But lastly, I want to look at the spiritual. Remember, food goes in a manger, right? That's what a manger is. It's a feeding trough for animals. So food goes in a manger. Well, Jesus was in a manger because Jesus is food. He called himself in John 6, 48, the bread of life. He's the bread of life. And he was born in Bethlehem. And Bethlehem in Hebrew means house of bread. And by the way, his birthplace of Bethlehem was also prophesied. Look here in Micah 5, 2. But thou Bethlehem, Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Not only that, but Jesus said his flesh is food indeed. Look at this in John chapter 6, beginning in verse 55. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. Take it from the words of Christ himself. He says, I'm food and I'm drink. So what was Jesus doing in a manger? Food belongs in a manger. We must receive Jesus Christ as our Savior. We must receive Jesus Christ as our Savior. Now, we do not actually eat him. I know what it sounds like Jesus said there. It sounds like we're supposed to eat his flesh and drink his blood. We don't actually eat him, but we spiritually ingest him into our hearts. We believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins, that Jesus was buried for our sins, and the third day Jesus rose again from the dead. And when we believe that, when we receive that into our hearts, then we are taking his flesh, we are taking his blood in a spiritual sense. But just like the manger was not suitable for the king of kings, neither are our hearts. Because of our sin, our hearts are not suitable for the king of kings. Yes, I said we must receive him, we must believe, but our hearts are not suitable. Just like that feeding trough for animals was not suitable. But as he accepted the manger, so he accepts our hearts. Now, food is expected to be found in a manger. Physical food is what everybody needs to survive this life. If you're going to try to get through this life without physical food, you're not going to make it very far. You're not going to make it very long. But spiritual food is what everyone needs to survive the life to come. If you want to enter into the life to come, if you want to make it through the life to come, you need spiritual food. You don't need physical food. You need spiritual food. And what is that spiritual food? Or should I ask, who is that spiritual food? It is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. He is spiritual food. So what's Jesus doing in a manger? Food goes in a manger. Well, guess what? Jesus is food. That's why he was in the manger. And so today, as we've looked at the manger, we see, first of all, the physical. We know what a manger is now. It's a feeding trough for animals. Oh, we have celebrated into something that it's not. It's a beautiful place where baby Jesus... No, it's a feeding trough for animals. That's what it is. And then we looked at the signal. It was part of the sign to the shepherds. They would find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. That wouldn't be unusual. He'd be lying in a manger. That would be extremely 
unusual. Then we looked at the actual. The shepherds found exactly what the angels would say. I don't know how long it took them to search all the mangers in Bethlehem, but they only found one with a baby. It was the right one. All the other mangers would have had food or leftover food. It's all that would have been in there. Again, they found exactly what they were told they would find. A babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And then finally we looked at the spiritual. Why in the world would Jesus be in a manger? Food goes in a manger. Jesus is food. He is the spiritual food you and I need to make it into the life to come. And he is the spiritual food that you and I need to make it through the life to come. And he's the only spiritual food that will get us there. So when I ask you this morning, I know I've asked you all Christmas long, you know, all month long. And if you've been to other churches and gone to other programs, maybe your kids or grandkids are there. I'm sure the preacher got up and gave you an opportunity to receive Christ as Savior. But have you received Christ as your Savior? Do you believe He died on the cross to pay for your sins, that He was buried for your sins, and He rose again the third day? That is how you receive Jesus, and not only as Savior, but that's how you take Him on as food, spiritual food. By trusting in Him as your Savior. Have you received Christ as your personal Savior? If not, may today be the day, the first day of 2023. The last day of Christmas for us here at First Baptist. But the first day of 2023, receive Christ as your Savior. You heard it all month long. You're like, yeah, i got to do that. i got to get to that. I, eventually, now's the time, the Bible says. Today is the day. Receive Christ as your Savior. And if you're here today and you've already received received Christ as your Savior, great. Serve Him for the rest of your life. Serve Him through the church. Serve Him in your own personal life. Serve Him at work. Serve Him at school. However, whatever opportunities He opens to you, serve Him. He came to this earth to serve you. And now it's our turn to serve Him. So again, the invitation is very simple. Receive Christ. Right where you're sitting or standing, when we sing this next, this next hymn, receive Christ as Savior. Having received Him, serve Him with your whole heart. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your amazing grace. We thank You for giving the greatest gift of Christmas ever, the first gift and the greatest gift, Your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, if there's somebody here, many who have not received Christ as Savior, give them grace and faith to believe right here, right now. And for those of us who have received, may we be faithful servants of yours. And we thank you for this new year of service to you. May we honor you in how we serve. And we thank you in Jesus' name.